Hi, I'm Terry Zabolski, pastor of Grace Community Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I'd like to thank you for listening to this week's message. I hope and trust that God's Word is a blessing to you as you live for Him each and every day. And uh, I'm not going to use that other chair. It does help me to sit on something with that hip still coming along. <clears throat> Actually, kind of nice to sit down standing up there. I think it didn't help it too much. <laughs> so it helps me out, so I appreciate that. But that other chair was getting so wobbly. Some of you said that's all you were thinking about last week. Was the chair going to collapse? And I would make a, an illustrated point that you would never forget. The fall of the Z-Man, right? So, uh, so I, th- I forgot about that, but when uh, Rob or someone moved it back, uh, the uh, chair actually came off, the seating part, so we thought, well, that's probably seen better days. So uh, anyway, uh, we're looking at, in our study of the Gospel of Luke, and uh, what an exciting study this is. You know, there's something special about particularly studying all parts of Scripture, but as my old professor used to say, to study actually the life, the very life in the words of Jesus, and to watch him as if we're looking over the shoulder and hearing and seeing, and there's something extra special about that. I'm not big into red-letter editions, although mine's a red-letter. That's the only one that came with a good binder, I thought, if I'm going to use it for a number of years, so I'm going to get it. But uh, all the words are inspired in the original, and we have a, they're inerrant, and, uh, but the red, if you allow that, know that, at least allows special indication that these are the words of Jesus, and they're very special. And we've been looking through Luke 7 these last few weeks, an amazing account. I mean, the Lord in chapter uh, 7, verse 1, we saw that, heals from a distance, a centurion's servant. I mean, God is uh, so great in Christ, he doesn't even have to come and do a little tap dance around or lay hands on and speaks a word and from a distance. He's healed like that. Isn't that great? Isn't that great to know when, when we pray that uh, the Lord Jesus uh, bodily is in heaven and he doesn't have to come into your sick room and do a little tap dance, lay hands on, or like the prophets, lay on you. But from a distance, then you need to speak the word. But he spoke the word. Wow, the same word that spoke that brought creation into being. And incidentally, not too many years ago. Don't believe that mumble-jumble nonsense. Not too many years ago. Not too many. I'd say one more thing about that, because I think it's critical. It robs the hearts of particularly young people. You know that six billion people is about the number you would expect, given normal life, mortality rates, and, uh, uh, and birth rates, uh, wars and famines, and all that kind of thing, if man was around for about 6,000 years. Do you know that? How about that? Do you know you could fit the whole population of the world standing up in the city of Jacksonville, Florida? So don't get lost in the millions and billions and all that craziness, okay? God's word is true. Let God be true and every man a liar. I stand by what God said. I know. We used to get to the Encyclopedia Britannica, and you know every year they came out with a volume and essentially said, you know, we're sorry, we were wrong about this. Here's the updated annual. <laughs> That's what it was. I could only read the first paragraph. I didn't understand the word. As you read, the words got longer and longer, if you ever, ever read that. But my, father's, my kids are going to be educated. We're getting Encyclopedia Britannica. I wanted the world book. It had all those pictures. You know, some of you don't know what I'm talking about. But, but that's what we were raised on. And then we saw last time uh, in, in, in Luke 7, Jesus raises the widow's son at Nain. He interrupted a funeral. Wow. That's something. Isn't that, they, they were really lucky, right? Jesus happened to come walking into town right at that moment. Wow. Man, chance. That's crazy. Don't ever worship chance. That's nonsense. No such thing. Never been a thing called chance. Never. Jesus came in by his appointment. And uh, he touches the beer, remember? That's not what you're going to see advertised in the Super Bowl today. <laughs> B-I-E-R. So we say, what's he talking about? (laughs) 
As if to say, death, you can come this far, but no further. And the, the voice sits up. Isn't that great? Sits up. I say to you, rise. Do you see your own picture there? That's your resurrection there. See, when life met death, death stopped in its track. Everyone else had to follow the parade out. There it is. That's it. Life in a fallen world. Where are you going? We're going to the cemetery. There they go. But when the author of life comes, he stops the parade toward the cemetery, and the boy sits up. Wow. Only three times in all Scripture does Jesus raise somebody uh, from the dead. Jairus' daughter, the widow's son at Nain, right here, Luke and then Larry, come forth. I love that, Larry. Lazarus, come forth, there in Bethany. Uh, he stinketh. You know, that's, that's like most men, right? They think deodorant is a shower. No, you've got to use a shower. No, he's been dead four days. Lord, he stinketh. Lazarus, come forth. Some said if he didn't say Lazarus, all the graves were emptied. That's something? That's the Lord. Now we come to a text, and I've entitled the message, The Prescription for Doubt. The Prescription for Doubt. You know, we all have doubts, don't we? We do. We're puny, small, frail, can't do very much, don't have a lot of energy some days. Some days it really goes against us. Some day we're overwhelmed with the opposition, the challenge, we all battle doubts, every one of us. We do. I do. You do. What do we have doubts about? We have doubts about the future. You know, we, we wonder about, uh, I can remember not to, you know, in the years back, can, can I make the grade academically? I can't do it. Oh, my. How do I get out of here and save face? I remember thinking about that in one of my, my, my programs of study. I, was a, I sat there amazed. I was one of eight students that got in. I sat there while I lectured, went, how did, and I listened to these other guys. I go, like, how did I get in here? It must have been a mistake. <laughs> then I sat there wondering, how do I get out of here and save face? <laughs> I, was, I was battling down a little bit, you know? Or how about in sports? I, I played a little football a lot of years, and it's all by weight. You know, you got to weigh in. If you don't make the weight, you don't play, right? And then you come to, like, freshman ball, and it's like there's no weigh-ins. And then from freshman, we played all the – I and it was a huge program, 4A, 170 guys tried out first day. The amazing thing is they equipped them all. I'll never forget that. Some were running around with the old leather helmets on. That was funny to see. But there were guys 320 pounds. Dennis Mazur, 320 pounds. I thought, I'm going to get killed. I'm going to get killed. I'm going to, and if I die, then I die. They can bury me on the 50-yard line. And I did. I played that way. It was kind of, kind of nutty, but I was filled with doubt. How am I going to do this? Or even wrestling, you know. I remember Dave Zook. I thought, I'll never beat that guy. I was sick all day. You get that sick. Some of you know what wrestle-offs are. Or tennis matches. Academically. How about health? One day they had a screening, and they, and, uh, they went through it. Was an old, we did an open thing as a church, right? And anyone could come in, and they had all these stations set up. It was great, you know? And then, so I was there seeing how things, and I kind of thought, oh, okay, I'll try it. They found I had uh, hypertension. Hypertension. I said, well, and then they were rushing over and said, do you realize you have, like, high blood pressure? No, I never knew that. No, and I said, well, you probably ought to sit down here. I mean, you're kind of going off the charts, you know, kind of thing. I go, Really? No, I run, you know, that, well, you know. <laughs> I found out later, my mother never told me, she has been on blood pressure medicine since she was 26. That's back in the medieval day, too. And, and then I, and I got this, and she, oh, didn't I ever tell you? And, uh, no, Mom, you never, so it's kind of, you know. But I went home that day, and they said, you got to get in and see the doctor. I laid on the bed thinking, I bought the big one. I could, every heartbeat. I said, Faith, I think it's over. <laughs> I doubt if I'm going to see Monday, you know. Doubt. It's a, it's a funny thing. We, we have doubts about our future, about our health. How about our relationships? You know, he loves me, loves me not, loves me, loves me not. Right? Oh, my. In our families and all that kind of thing, right? Friends, we get pretty uncertain about it. Doubts. A part of life in a fallen world. We won't have doubts in heaven. Won't that be great? You won't even doubt the food that's served. Is that doubt I'm going to eat that? No, you don't, it'll be great. No doubts. I can't wait. You know, won't that be great? 
You know, some of you doubt whether the Bills will be in the Super Bowl next year. You say, I, I doubt that, you know. <laughs> I'm probably with you on that. <laughs> you know, we doubt our abilities, you know. I can never preach. I doubt I could ever do that, you know. Makes me laugh when I think of the first time. I was talking about that last night to Jim, uh, somebody, Jim or Ramona. About in 1974, I did open airs preaching uh, in up in Carbondale. Friday night, went down to the park. We set up the mic and preaching. I was scared out of my mind. I didn't even know what I was doing. Bunch of drunks and, and druggies and us screaming and yelling back at us. It was great training, though. It really was. One would pre- we'd rotate, and the others would work to work the crowd, and uh, it was God's sort of incubation for we're going to train this guy and how to do it. And then, and then when I got to preach in a chapel, that's what I was recounting. I remember. And I gave my first invitation, come forward. He said, this is what we do at the city mission. They, come, they have to be there to eat after. So they came forward, and I go like, oh, they're coming to the front, right? Here I'm, we're singing just as I am or something, right? And this guy's staggering. He falls. I'm watching this now. And he hits the pew on his head, does a twirl, lands at my feet, knocked out unconscious. And I'm like, they never taught me how to, I don't think I can do this. Doubts, you know, doubts. And, and, and we all have that, don't we? We all struggle with that. Well, it's one thing to doubt about uh, all these things in life, but I wonder, have you ever been plagued by doubts of whether Jesus was really God's anointed one? His Messiah, the Christ, the seed of the woman, the lion of the tribe of Judah. All those wonderful descriptions in the scriptures uh, announcing who this Jesus would be. I wonder, have you ever... Have you ever had doubts in, in relation to that? And, and where do these doubts come from? Where do they come from? Where do these doubts come from uh, that we question, really, the Scriptures? Well, if we look at the Scripture, we find out there's many sources. And I, on your introduction, I have just a few of them. They come from Satan. Oh, he'll, he'll rob the seed right out of you. Remember the, the sower, the, uh, the first response? Uh, you know, it, it, it sprouts up. And Satan comes along and he robs it. He's a great robber. He'll cause you to doubt the veracity and the truthfulness of God's word. He'll do that. He said to our first parents, even, has God really said? He wasn't seeking information. He was trying to create doubt, and God will do that. Satan will do that. What other sources of doubt? How about times of boredom? Be careful about that. Be careful about that. The leisure, we all love leisure, don't we? Hey, going away. But uh, it's not good. Sometimes be careful. Be careful of boredom. Be careful of tiredness. You know, when you and I are tired, uh, it does something the way we look at life and think about it. Maybe the things that are precious and true. Be careful. Be on your guard. How about sickness? You know, day after day. We're okay with the short ones. You know, three-day flu. Thank you, Lord. But when it goes on in a chronic sense, you know, we're all sprinters. We tend to do good on that, right? 50-yard dash. The marathon. Right, Mark? The marathons. Oh, we grow weary of those chronic, and it wears us down, and it can cause doubt. We can say, really, God, are you good? If you're so good, why am, I, why am I still sick? Why am I still in pain? Why am I still down? Why is the problem still a problem? Why is it still broken? And we, and we may doubt that God is good. We may doubt the glory of our Savior. Uh, they, these, uh, they, may cause, uh, they may come to us during times of grieving. They, they can, you know, they can visit us. We go like, life looks so different now, and we hurt and we ache, and, and, we, and we, we, can, we can begin to doubt, right? Or, can I say to you, when we give in to destructive patterns of sin, messes our head up. Yet we don't see the, the clarity, the truth of the Scriptures in life. When we willfully leave the path of holiness and, and, right, and, and wander in the paths of sin. And we all do it, and we've all done it. Don't stay there. Get back. Confess that sin, repent, get back on the path, because it will lead you to the land of doubt and, and worse. But often, and let me suggest to you, this, this, this whole thing of doubt and where does it come from, uh, often comes, and I think the most often time that we may struggle with is that uh, when we're disappointed with, with God. When we're disappointed, it's a, it's a matter of expectations. And we say in our heart, you know, oh God, I thought you were going to do this. 
and you didn't do it, or you haven't done it yet. It's been a long time. I thought you were going to save my dad earlier. I thought you were going to heal my brother. I thought, I thought, I thought. Disappointment, disappointment opens that door to the temptation of doubt probably more than anything else. Our expectations. You know, it's, it's a wonderful thing when you're raised, and it's by God's uh, design in a family where you're sheltered from the raw realities of a sinful, evil world. I mean, the kids get exposed soon enough, and they will. They will. But to be sheltered by that. And in the midst of that, to, to hear that nursery rhymes and all that, and they lived happily ever after, you know, that never happened. But we live that, and our kids said, and they go to dread thinking, okay, all is well. And, and we know that the world is not all is well, and stuff happens. And stuff, sometimes you don't even see it. You know, where'd that come from? And we're disappointed. We're disappointed. We, uh, uh, we, we pray for our finances, and we still don't have a job. Or we're underemployed. We go like, Lord, where are you? Or we pray for the salvation of loved ones and nothing much seems to be happening. Disappointment, expectations. I think that's the biggest door in which uh, uh, we may struggle with uh, doubts. Is God really good? Does he really hear prayer? Is he really there? And it may come to all of us if we've been even saved and walking with the Lord for many, many years. Well, be encouraged this morning. Be encouraged, not that misery loves company, but be encouraged for uh, also one of God's great giants. Did you know that he battled doubt? But he did the right thing. And in this simple little thing, if you get this, you can go home early. <laughs> you know what he did with this doubt? And here's a prescription, I'll tell you, like the old preachers. Tell them what you're going to say, then say it, then tell them what you said. He took it to Jesus. There it is. If you got it, and underline it, and you memorize it, and eat those words, you can go home right now. That's what he did. He didn't camp, camp out in the land of skepticism. You know, our culture doesn't know anything for sure. That's a sign of an educated person. Don't know anything, really, absolutely. They'll live in this world of, of skepticism. We're going to discover John the Baptist in our text today. A giant among giants struggled with doubt. Into the, as to the goodness and to the identity, the person of the Savior. Are you the one? I mean, it's, it's almost shocking when you think of it. Most of us know the story, so we're, we're not shocked. But this giant of giants, I mean, he's taller than Goliath in spiritual realms. And he was staggering a little bit, not sure, doubting. And I say to you, that, that, that's encouraging to see that. So you like to say, well, it's only me. It's not only you. If he can, then it, it can plague any and all of us from time to time. I'm saying, don't stay in the land of doubt. Do what John did. He took it to Jesus to get the answer. And that was the prescription. Take your Bible. Let's just read the account in Luke 7. And we'll pick it up uh, right at verse 18. And I'm reading again out of the ESV. The disciples of John reported all these things to him, and John, calling two of his, this is John the Baptist, John the Baptist, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one, He's, they're talking to Jesus, who is to come, or shall we look for another? And in that hour, he, that's Jesus, uh, healed many diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. And when John messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. But, then, uh, but what then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you more than a prophet. 
This is he who was written, Behold, and he quotes Malachi 3.1, I send my messenger before you who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born a woman, not, uh, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Now when all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. To what then shall I compare, Jesus said, the people of this generation? Or what are they like? They are like children, sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute to you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come, eating no bread and drinking no water, and you say, he is a demon. The Son of Man has come, eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, he's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. Well, there are in this, uh, this account three, three responses uh, uh, from Jesus as he deals with the danger of doubt. And uh, just a warning again, be careful, don't linger in the land of doubt. Doubt is sort of between believing, trusting, unbelief along the plane. Doubting is sort of in the middle. I mean, we're going to have time to time. We're going to be tempted to doubt. Don't linger there. Don't stay there. Do what, do what John did, right? He took it to Jesus, those doubts. He laid himself bare before the Lord, and the, and the Lord ministered through the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, and he landed in the land of, of trust where, where you and I need to be, all right? The first response, found in verse 18 and 23 as we read, Jesus responds to questions from a doubter. Again, I remind you, he's a spiritual giant, can't even have doubts. And so can you. Hey, it's surprising. Isn't it surprising to find John the Baptist having doubts about Jesus? Why do I say that? John was the one who baptized him. John was that rather ascetic uh, prophet, bizarre in behavior. I mean, he didn't wear Botany 500 or Polo or anything from the outlets. Any, I mean, he's wearing his camel hair. Now, that's you know, that's, that's not what you wore in that day. I mean, it was rather bizarre. He uh, didn't eat at McDonald's or anywhere fancy uh, beyond that. He ate locusts and honey. He, uh, he had a ministry that lasted about a year. If you wondered well, how long was it, he's preaching in the, in the wilderness. He's there by the Jordan, and, the, and people are flocking out to this bizarre person this ascetic, this uh, man who lived a severe life and preached with thunder, repent, prepare ye the way for the Lord. I mean, people knew there was a prophet over there. Now, the upper echelon, the religious elite that were lost, they hated John. They didn't believe him. They went out there to see the circus. They would not give themselves to his baptism. They thought they had the real deal you know, John, he's kind of odd, really odd, but we better go check him out because all the people are believe he's a real deal, right? John, the promised one. It's surprising to see him have uh, this, this problem. And he's the one that baptized Jesus. You can check that out in John, uh, Gospel of John, chapter 1, 29 through 34. I mean, John had, uh, had seen him. He came. He had said he wasn't worthy to unlatch his... Uh, his sandal, and he baptizes Jesus. I baptize you with water, but the one coming will baptize with fire. And there John baptizes him. He knows it's him because the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, descends like the imagery of a dove upon him. Uh, he hears the voice. Uh, it's Matthew 3.17 that tells us the voice from heaven. It's a wonderful Trinitarian passage there at the baptism. It's one of the accounts where, where it really counters modalism, one God, and then uh, one God, one person, but it sort of changes personality. No, no. One God, three persons, shrouded in mystery. God the Father speaks. This is my beloved Son. Jesus is standing there in the river of the Jordan, and the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, descends upon him. Three persons, one God. It's a glorious thing. And John bore witness to that. Amazing account. What a privilege. What a joy, this giant. And John had announced boldly that Jesus 
is the Lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world. Well, B, John was presently, and here's the key as to John's problem at this moment, he's being held in Herod's dungeon. It was a fortress-like prison garrison, if you will, and he's been there for some time. Preaching away faithfully, rebuked Herod for having his brother's wife, uh, and uh, now he's in prison. His world really caved in. Maybe it's dark in there. And uh, he's a man too, emotionally, intellectually, and physically. And he's preaching away. He inaugurates uh, the ministry, public ministry of Jesus. And his expectation was the Messiah is coming with fire. It means judgment. The kingdom of God is coming full blaze. He was the preparer. He was the bridge. And uh, he's hearing things about Jesus. I'm getting ahead of my notes here, but uh, John's disciples uh, come back to him and and they report to John while he's in prison about Jesus' ministry, the wonderful things that were going on. John's perplexed. So he sends and he's uh, doubting. He's not sure. And so here it is, the picture. John takes it to Jesus. How does he do it? He can't do it himself. He's locked up. He would have liked to. So he sends two of his disciples. Go to the Lord, go to Jesus, and ask him, are you the one? Or is it another that we're looking for? Well, you, you, the bare men would say, like, John's wavering. He's doubting. He's wondering. He's imbits, he, the strong man of, of, of God uh, wavering uh, in his prison cell. Uh, and, you know, are you the one? I think it's a great question. I wish more people would ask it. I wish people would ask. You know, I wish, wish people would wonder, well, ask you, you know, do you really think Jesus is a Christ? Wouldn't that be a great conversation? I mean, we love our sports and the Steelers and all that kind of thing, and, you know, that kind of, and you've got to talk to people about the little things or you'll never get to the big things. But wouldn't it be great if in the midst of this, said, hey, you know, I've been thinking about you. Do you really think he's the son of God? Wouldn't that be, you'd probably fall off your chair. I've been waiting for you to ask that. You know, wouldn't it be great? I wish more people would. And this is John's question. He sends his uh, two disciples to Jesus uh, to find out the answer. Um, now, uh, why, what was John's problem, D, just quickly? What's his problem? The Bible doesn't tell us or it would end all speculation, right? There it is. That was his problem. So you have to kind of, what's going on here? We already intimated, first of all, uh, he's languishing in prison uh, with a thought of death uh, hanging over his head. And just enter into that a bit. That, that in itself would be difficult to handle, get your arms around, don't you think? Get my head around that. You know, not too many. You get the word out. How many get out of here alive? Not too many. Okay. Wow. This, I didn't think this is what was going to happen. I thought the kingdom of God was coming. I'm on the Lord's side. I may not live languishing in prison. Second, his expectations for Messiah were far different than what he had heard about Jesus and his ministry. Now, I don't think it's too far off to say because of his expectation or wrong expectation, he was disappointed with God. I remember I, I've told you that before when, when Sarah's fiancé boyfriend was killed by the drunk driver in California. And we buried Matt down at the Naval Academy in, in uh, August of 2001. It was very, very sad, very heartbreaking day for, for us. And, and it went on for weeks, you know. And uh, uh, she was working on her master's at ship and living at home a little bit there. And uh, so many of you helped us. We'll never forget that. That was a really, uh, talk about the dark night of the soul. That's what John was here in, and that's what we were in, how, how, how God carried us through. I remember uh, one of her friends coming to her and saying to her, knew that she loved the Lord. Sarah was, continues to be a great witness for Christ in her personal life. And, and they said, uh, her girlfriend said, well, what will you do now with your God? What she said, well, what do you mean? She said, what? Will you forget that and give that up? She said, you don't understand. My God, at this time, is all that I have. 
Wow. During the dark night of the soul days. And that's right. And that's night. And that's where John is right here. Dark night of the soul. His expectation, disappointment. He expected fire to fall from heaven. He wanted to see him burn up those Roman soldiers. The Romans had occupied the Holy Land, the palace, the temple. Not the palace, but the temple, right? Burn them up. Burn those uh, religious leaders up. They're Satan's emissaries anyway. Just, ah, just fire from heaven. Destroy them. And the visible kingdom of God. That's what he's looking for. And it didn't happen, did it? Didn't happen. Not yet, anyways. God's timetable is different. He expected uh, all of this with the coming of this promised one. And John was stuck in, shall we say, John Bunyan's Doubting Castle. You familiar with that? Pilgrim, hopeful, right? Making the journey to the celestial city. They got waylaid and they went into Doubting Castle. And they were beaten mercifully. In fact, I have a count of it. I don't have a lot of, a lot of time here, but I, I will read, read this. As they made their, their way to the heavenly city, Christian and hopeful, uh, they came to Doubting Castle, which belonged to the gloomy figure of giant despair. And in this castle, their journey almost ends. The giant, encouraged by his wife, is out to destroy the pilgrims, and he beats them unmercifully. He provides them with a noose and a knife and a bottle of poison, and he counsels them, your only way out of this is by death. So why are you waiting? Make an end of it yourself. Why should you choose life, seeing it was attended by so much bitterness? And in their despair, the pilgrims turn to the Lord. And suddenly, Christian remembers that in his pocket is an old key called promise. The key fits and unlocks the castle gates in doubt can be overcome through prayer and through Scripture. As Christian and hopeful leave behind the horrifying doubting castle, they decide to erect a pillar and a warning to other pilgrims. And they wrote on that pillar, over this style is the way to doubting castle, which is kept by giant despair, who despises the king of the celestial country and seeks to destroy the holy pilgrims. This warning sign is still needed today, isn't it? That's where John was. That's where you may be even today, in the doubting castle. Lord knows Satan would want you to be locked in there. Well, Eid, Jesus tells the two men, go back and tell them what you have seen and heard. Don't you love 21? They ask the question, and in 721, the Lord doesn't answer right away. But just in case they missed Missed it. He puts on a grand demonstration. It's really for John. He begins this whole plethora of healings. And he lists it, doesn't he? In 21, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. Right while the two are standing there watching this. He didn't want them to get the wrong message or wrong idea. He wanted to validate what they had heard. And so... When they would go back to John, they would give the right report. We saw it. We witnessed this glorious Son of God, Christ the Lord. He is the one. And that's what Jesus says in verse, go back and tell John, verse 22, what you have seen and heard. And he catalogs all that he did. Now, Jesus is so kind to John. Don't you see that? He doesn't rebuke him. Isn't that neat? Our Lord, our, our shepherd is so kind and gentle. You know, it behooves us dads to be that way. Sometimes, Dad, we can, we can just bark it out. We're tired, you know, we're irritated, and we can just sh- shout it out to our kids and, and, and really crumble their spirit. I don't see that with the Lord here as a gentle shepherd. Um, he, he, he knows where John is. He's uh, in, that, in, in the dungeon uh, he understands John's uh, ministry and expectation. He knows all about it. He ordained it all. And he's kind to him. He doesn't rebuke. Go tell John if the, he, three strikes you're out, buddy, that's it. We're taking you to the woodshed. Don't see any of that. He, respond, he responds ki- in kindness to him, doesn't he? It just shouts to me. He doesn't rebuke him for doubting. 
And the Lord will do that for you. If you find yourself in the land of that, he's not going to beat you up and take you to the woodshed. Come back to him. He knows what you've been through. He knows what your days are like. He's orchestrated all of that. Come back to him. He's a gentle shepherd. Aren't you glad of that? He, uh, and Jesus gives an indirect answer. He doesn't say, well, I, I am John. I am. Tell, go, tell, go tell John I am. Uh, he, he, uh, he answers uh, uh, implicitly by just saying, go back and show. And wh- why does he do that? He, he was confident in John's understanding of the Scripture, particularly the Old Testament. John knew the Scriptures. Do you know the Scriptures? John knew them. John knew that Isaiah, uh, and let me give you some references. You write down Isaiah 26, 19, the, the dead will live. Isaiah 29, 18, the deaf will hear, the lame will leap. Isaiah 35, 5 and 6, that's a major one. The eyes will be open. And then 61, 1 and 2, you know, that uh, the Lord used that in Luke uh, 4, that, uh, the, the, that he is to preach the gospel. That's what he was doing. And, and, and he was confident that John knew the Scriptures. Enough to say that the prophets had said, when Messiah comes, this is what he's going to do. That's what's going on. So the Lord is, in essence, saying, absolutely, I'm the one. There is no other one. Don't look anywhere else. There's nowhere, nowhere else. It's not Muhammad and the Mohammedism, Islam and all that. It's not Buddha. It's not anything else. Not humanism, certainly not. It's me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's only Jesus, only him. Do you know him? Do you own him? Only him, only him. There'll never be another Messiah. He is the one. He's the Christ. He's the anointed one of the Father. And so the Lord puts on a demonstration, an answer to the two, to take it back to John, to encourage John in the shadow of his own death. I am the Christ. John, I notice Jesus does not stoop to John's expectations. He doesn't. He doesn't say, okay, John, you know, I'm sorry I disappointed you. You want fire from heaven? Here it comes. He didn't do that, did he? That day will come. That day will come. But today it's a day, in essence, of mercy, a day of kindness, a day of preaching, a day of salvation. The day of judgment will fall. And so Jesus continued to show mercy and to proclaim the gospel. Show mercy and to proclaim the gospel. And I have on your sheet, aren't these the two things that we are to be doing as his followers? Aren't we to be showing mercy and kindness and be the hands and the eyes and the feet and the mouth and the heart of Jesus to all that we meet? That's being merciful. That's being merciful. We are, we are the, the, the image of Christ, the, the epistle, God's letter to a world, to your family and to those around you, to be merciful and kind. Look, if they die apart from Christ, they are forever in the lake of fire. And you you might be the only kind thing they ever experienced in all their existence. We're to be merciful. We're to help those that need help. We're to stoop and help support and care for them, rescue the perishing and care for the dying. That's what he did. He was merciful. But more than that, what? He preached the gospel, right? It's, the, it's, it's expressing the, the love of God in Christ. That's what that means. Gospel means good news. I don't know if the Steelers will win today or not. Probably depends if they play four quarters of football, right? And don't go home at halftime. I don't know. If they do win, a lot of you be happy to say, that's great news. Well, there's some far better news than that. Roger intimated that earlier. It said, Jesus saves. People need to hear. Faith's come by hearing. Hearing the word of God. If you don't tell them and God is growing you to be like Christ, they're going to think, well, there are good people. They need to know that you're, a, you're, a, you're not good. You know, you're a scoundrel. And so am I by nature. And that uh, if there's any good in me, it's, I'm a trophy of God's grace. Because if you don't tell them, they're going to think there's some good and therefore heaven must be works and all that. Nah, you need to tell them. For all have sinned. That means me. And fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So Jesus doesn't stoop to John's expectation. And then he pronounces a blessing in verse 23 on those that remain loyal in the ups and downs and the darkness and the dark uh, uh, night of the soul type days. Wow. Well, 
Jesus responds to questions from a doubter. Look at the second uh, response, verse 24 to 30. Jesus validates the doubter before the crowd. He does. It's an amazing thing. The, the two witnesses leave to go back to John to bear that report. And Jesus validates John. It reminds me that, the, you know, in the bigger issue, that Jesus evaluates all our lives. And uh, we'll give an accounting of ourselves. John, uh, Jesus knew John completely, fully, and, and all of that. And, and uh, now he's going to evaluate for the crowd that heard all that, saw the witnesses come in. John's went, ask these questions, and now they leave, and he turns and he addresses them about John because they heard the question. And they thought highly of John. And Jesus evaluates. He's going to evaluate you at the judgment seat of Christ. And you won't say, no, you got the wrong Terry here. I'm that guy. No, that's the one. No, it'll be exactly right. Exactly. Well, after the two men depart, Jesus turns to the crowd. What did you see when you went out there? Verse 24 to 26. What did you see? He reminds them that John was a rugged man. Holy macaroni, was he. Rugged. What did you see? I mean, he wasn't some little reed that bent when the wind blew. He was not some wimpy, wimpy guy. He was a man's man. Man. How about that? Self-denial, ascetic, godly. Jesus offers the highest praise from none greater. In the, in, in, I'm born among women than John. I mean, he's in the top echelon of those that have ever been born in the human family. That's what it means. That's quite an accolade. You'd have to admit to that. Wow, none greater. You see, why is that? Because John is the bridge between the Old Testament and the New. I mean, in Malachi 3, it talks about the messenger. Malachi closes the Old Testament, and he announces that the messenger is coming, who is going to announce, prepare ye the way of the Lord, with Isaiah 40. Remember that? And then there's 400 silent years. Nothing is said. There's no more scripture until John breaks the silence there in the wilderness announcing, preparing in that one year of ministry the coming of Jesus as he enters into his three-year ministry. I mean, he is, he is born of that, uh, uh, that few that are in the upper echelon. He's the bridge, the transition between the Old Testament and Jesus. His greatness, I remind you, was not in his personality. Okay, it wasn't that he could shoot basketball. Boy, he could shoot three-pointers. None of that, right? None of that. It wasn't that he could play the violin. No, his greatness was seen in his relationship to Jesus, that he was the appointed one of God from before the foundation, that he would be the announcer, the one indicating that Jesus was here and beginning his ministry, the messenger. Well... I'm reminded, as Jesus said in 28b, all who are born of God, that's us, this side of the tomb, the church, that we bear a, greater, a greatness that John did not even have. You see, we, are, we, we have been born in a more privileged place in the history of salvation, the history of redemption. We're far on this side of the cross, far on this side of the empty tomb. John, he was at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He heard it, was in jail, then he would lose his head here in short. He never saw, he never saw the cross. He never saw the love of God or the depths of God's love where Christ died on the cross. He never saw the wonder of the forgiveness of sin. He never saw the, the joy of the empty tomb and the resurrection. He never had the privilege of seeing that. We're all on this side of it. And we bear in the spiritual kingdom that is among us. And someday, ultimately and finally, the full manifestation of the kingdom of God. And so that's what he means by that. Isn't that amazing? Wow, it's glorious. Well, so Jesus not only responds to the, the questions from the doubter, but he validates the doubter, that's John, before the crowd. And finally, the third uh, response is that Jesus rebukes the unbelief of his generation. Wherever Jesus is proclaimed, wherever he proclaims, there's always a mixed reaction. Have you ever noticed that? You know, a lot don't believe. They hear it, and they walk away. They walk away. And the, and the leaders and the rulers and the religious uh, upper echelon there, 
they just, they didn't believe John, and they didn't believe Jesus. They wouldn't go out there. That was sort of a sideshow in Jesus. And John, he was austere, self-denial, hardly ate, never ate quarter pounders, Philadelphia cheesesteaks, chocolate ice cream sundaes, none of that. None of that. And they said, he's a wild man. He's out of his mind, right? And Jesus, the other extent of God's plan and program, Jesus, the glorious one, they accused him, oh, he hangs around with sinners. John was over here by himself, preaching away in that way. Jesus over here, he's a people of the crowd. You went to weddings. They accused him of being a drunkard. They accused him of being, uh, you know, just eating till no end. You know, and, and just, he hangs around with the wrong crew. That, I mean, you couldn't please him. So, you, have you noticed that? Some people you can't please? They can't please you. They can't please you. And, and Jesus uh, uses, it's, you know, it's called in, in theology the parable of the brats. <laughs> Sometimes my sister used to say that to one of the other kids, I won't say who in our family, you're a brat. You're a brat. I'm telling mommy on you, you're a brat. You're such a brat. Uh, yeah, like this. It wasn't me. Don't think it was me. But uh, this is the parable of the brats because some of these children, and Jesus refers to those, the Pharisees, the scribes, those that knew the law and that, that had no business with John. We won't have him. They certainly weren't bad. And they don't want Jesus either. Some people, you can't please. They're like kids. They're like brats. You can't play a joyful song. You can't play a dirge. They're like, nah, 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 born in the objective case. Have you ever known anybody born in the objective? I'm against it. I didn't even get it out yet. I'm against it. They were against John. They're against Jesus. And that's what he's saying. Uh, it's amazing. Uh, their blindness, their hardness of heart. It, it, it reminds me in, in this, the byline, it tells us there's a huge difference between doubt where John was, and the refusal to believe the Pharisees and scribes, their children, the parable of the brats. Didn't matter what style of ministry, John and his austerity, or Jesus, a person of the people, whatever ministry is played, they rejected both. Wow. Both were rejected because they didn't play according to their rules. Their expectations of the scribes and the Pharisees. And Jesus says, what? Come to me. I'm the one. Don't miss me. Don't remain in the land of doubt. Do what John did. Come to me. You know, and I love the, I love, I often think about the Puritans. You know the way some of the great divines, that's the old word for pastors, in the 1600s and late 1500s. And so, you know how they would often study their, their Bible for sermon prep, it, it kind of convicts me a little bit, although I'm on my knees every single day praying. They would study oftentimes their Bible on their knees. Is that amazing? The open Bible on their knees, praying, studying, praying, studying for hours. And I got news for you, right, Rob? They didn't have HVAC like we did. Some was on stone. James was called the old Campbell knees. His knees got so swollen he was on his knees so much. And they studied the Word. They went to the Word. They studied it because it taught them of Jesus. Wow. Wow. The prescription for doubt. Take it to Jesus. Well, what can we say? Lessons for our life and we'll be done. Number one, the, the, the treatment for doubt or the prescription for doubt is to go back to Jesus. It is. John didn't remain in the land of skepticism. He didn't stay there and camp out. Well, I'm not sure. He did something about it. Take it to Jesus. Get on your knees. The Lord say, read the Gospels. Read his words. Watch what he does. Lord, help me. I'm vulnerable. I'm weak. I'm tempted. And stay there. Stay there. Stay there until you come back to where you need to be. Do that. Don't stay there. Dangerous. Dangerous. Slippery slope. And Satan would love to see you slip right off. And what a mess your life would be then. Huh? Number two, Jesus is the one. He's the only one. You notice that? He didn't say, hey, there are two or three of us here. 
1. Go back and tell John. It's Jesus. I'm the one. I'm the one. I'm the one you're looking Are you the one or are we? I'm the one. Wow. It's all about Jesus. He's a great conquering general. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. Wow. Number three. If you are doubting now, as I said a moment ago, don't linger there. Don't linger in the land of doubt. Doubting castle. Move out. Move out fast. Move out today. You'd be glad you did. Number four, make sure your expectations are biblical. There's a problem, right? Well, I thought it was going to, right? I thought we would just be careful. We live in a fallen world. Stuff happens. And we don't get the script, do we? We don't. And sometimes it's through suffering and sorrow and tears and loss. Look, there's more wisdom in the house of sorrow than there is in the house of a party. I'd rather be at a house of party. Give me another piece of pizza, right? But when there are great tears and sorrow and sadness, my heart is ripped open, and I'm ready to hear and see. When at other times of a party, it just isn't the same. You know what I mean. Make sure your expectations are biblical, and beware of your disappointments. Just keep casting him to the Lord, and he'll see you through, I promise you. And some of you in your home and families and life, and maybe got passed over at work, and you say, well, I really thought God would give that to me. I really thought my dad would live longer. I really thought, I really thought I'd be able to carry that baby. I lost that and miscarried. I mean, these are things we've had in our own family. The tears that flow, and we go like, oh, Lord, give them to the Lord. And number five and last, come to Jesus today. If you've never been saved, don't let the day pass. What a great day. You'll always remember it. It was on a Super Bowl day. It was even more super. God opened my heart and saved me. If I can help you in that, oh, I'd love to do that. Simple prayer of faith. Lord Jesus, be merciful unto me, a sinner. Receive you as my Lord and as my Savior. Thank you for dying for me. Oh, don't miss that. Oh, don't miss it. The prescription for doubt. Wow. Let's stand and be dismissed with a word of prayer. Father.